Tea Pop, Season 8, Episode 5. Hello and welcome to Tea Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about the difference between freelancing versus business ownership is Rachel Roberts. Rachel is a qualified coach with over 30 years of experience working in the ELT industry. She's been a teacher, a teacher trainer, a materials writer and is of course the owner of her own business where she helps ELT freelancers break free from being undervalued and underpaid. In this episode we're going to talk about what the difference is obviously between freelancing and business ownership and how to get started. Now, this episode is ideal if you're thinking about moving into doing your own thing, because Rachel will share what you can do to get started and where you can find clients. Now, let's jump to where I asked Rachel what the difference is between freelancing and business ownership. When I first started my business, um, Earn Learn Thrive Limited, I really went back and forth on this because I kind of wanted to call everybody a business owner because I think that there's something in ELT where people are very reluctant to kind of claim that because they think to be a business owner, you have to like employ people and you have to be, you know, like some kind of big, um, <laughs> some kind of big thing. Right. And in fact, I think anybody who sells their services or products is ultimately a business owner. There are recognized in some countries, there are sort of legal distinctions. But I usually do talk about freelancing, because I know that that's how most people prefer to describe themselves, because maybe it sounds a little bit safer. Um, Freelancing, strictly speaking, I think, is when you work for other businesses. But most people that I know who are taking on clients teaching English, for example, or other modern foreign languages, still call themselves a freelancer. So I guess, you know, to to sum that up, really, what I would like to say is whether you call yourself a freelancer or a business owner, I would really encourage you to think of yourself as running a business and not being just a freelancer. Generally speaking, do you notice there's a shift when people start to think of themselves as a business rather than a freelancer in terms of the decisions they make and the success that they may experience as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, absolutely it is key. And that's why I'm so keen for people to make that shift, because I think when you're a freelancer, there's a tendency to see yourself as kind of, you know, like a little baby bird kind of waiting for food to drop into your mouth. And unfortunately, that's not really how it works. Or you might not like the food that gets dropped into your mouth. It tends to not be particularly well paid. You don't know where the next thing's coming from. And this is where you get the feast and famine problem. So you'll take on anything because you don't know where you might get your next meal, so to speak. And I think once you start to see yourself as actually running a business, then you realize that you can make decisions that will actually bring you in clients, that you have the control over it to a much larger degree than many people think. So that's why I think it's a really important shift to make. Many of the listeners for TESOL Pop who will be tuning in today may already be in full-time employment and be thinking, well, when's the best time to start taking action? Should we wait until we've finished a contract or should we start now if we're in full-time employment? So I think that's a great question and something that I come up against all the time because for most people, it isn't really an option to finish your job and then go freelance because you're going to have quite a long period 
where you're probably not bringing in very much money. And unless you've got plenty of savings to back you up, or you happen to be independently wealthy, not so common in the ELT field, um, then that's probably not the way to go about it. However, people then struggle because they feel, well, I'm really busy with what I'm doing now. How on earth can I find the time to start a new business? And I think this is because people often misunderstand what is really needed at the core to start a new business. It's not about having to immediately have an all singing, all dancing website or, you know, an incredibly complex course on a platform. You can start much smaller than that. The main thing you need to do to start with is to work out who it is you want to work with, why they need you, what you're going to offer them. And then you can start to put your ideas out there, start to gather an audience, maybe try a few things out small scale, you know, get together of just a few people to do a beta run of a program that you're planning, for example, get some feedback, get some testimonials. And all of these things can be done alongside your employment until the point when you feel ready to finally take the full step. It sounds a lot less scary when you put it that way. When you talk about like beta testing of things Mm. or minimal viable product I sometimes Mm. hear people say as a kind of synonym Mm. it can be just um, a workshop that you host on zoom or um, I did one-to-one coaching for a while to test out public speaking and media training um, for free I did it for Mm. free and the 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 trade-off was feedback from uh, my clients and testimonials if they were happy with Mm. my services And it can be just on that type of scale. When you say a program, it doesn't have to be like a full online program. You don't have to dive into the deep end. It can just be testing things out. Mm, Totally. I mean, when I started the group program, which has now become Designed to Flourish, I did the first version fully live. Nothing was recorded except, you know, the recordings of the sessions I gave. And we just hosted stuff in Google Drive. And that was it. Um, I didn't do it for free, actually. Um, and I, I do generally recommend not doing it totally for free because I think you get more buy-in from people mm, when they've mm-hmm. paid something. And that means you get more committed people. You'll get better feedback and probably better results. But you can certainly offer it much cheaper than you ultimately plan to. And like then a it's special win-win. offer. Yes, exactly. And that will bring people in and the right people in and get you started. So how can we find potential clients, whether our ideal clients are students or teachers? Where where can we find them to start building our community and therefore our business? So that's a big question, obviously. Um, and it's at the core of what I do on my group program, um, because it does take time, I think, to work through everything that you need to understand about those clients in order to know how to find them. So, you know, essentially, I think there are three main steps. And the first one is working out who those people are. And at this stage, people very often say, well, everyone, or I don't know, I like variety, or, you know, something like that. And I get that totally. But it's very difficult to market to people if you don't have a clear idea who you're talking to. You know, it's like if you try and please everyone, you end up pleasing no one, or more likely just being ignored. So the clearer you can be about a specific group of people and what it is that they need from you that you're in a good position to give them, 
the easier it's going to be to find those people. So once you've done that, then the second stage is to go deeper into, well, what do they actually need? Because it's not going to be, let's say you're a teacher, it's not just going to be English lessons. You know, they're going to need some specific help with the type of English that they need to use. And it will also depend on how busy they are, what their previous learning experiences are, you know, all sorts of things. So based on all of that and on what your skills are, like maybe you're particularly good at teaching pronunciation, for example, you can then create something which really fits their needs. So that might be um, a one-to-one offer, but that doesn't mean it all has to be live any more than if it's a group program. You can still combine live and asynchronous elements of a course. And that could work better for your clients because it's more flexible and it's definitely better for you because it's fewer contact hours. Um, So you work out what they need and then you create this offer around that. And then step three is obviously marketing and selling it. And that is about getting out how this is going to help them, why it's particularly suited to their needs, and also about you and why they should trust you to do it, why you're the right person for them. If you are, maybe you're not, you know, and that's fine too. So those are kind of like the three main things you need to do. And obviously, there's quite a lot of depth in each of those. So it takes time. But if you can get those things right, then you will find that clients start to come to you. And, and that's the approach that I teach. So I don't teach cold messaging or calling um, or ads. Um, I teach what's called organic marketing, which is essentially organically growing those people who are interested in what it is that you offer until the point when they feel now's the right time. That particularly sounds appealing because I think – Whenever we, or for me, I associate sales or cold calling or that type of um, approach as really, oh, yeah, it, it kind of gives you that that sort of feeling, sleazy. And um, I imagine a lot of educators feel the same. So mm. leaning into like finding your people and realizing what value you provide them mm. is a way of wonderfully attracting and growing a community. Absolutely. And also, you know, I think. If you're selling something, you know, if you're a used car salesperson, to take the cliche, you just want to make the sale. You don't need to build a relationship with these people because you're not going to see them again. But if you're a teacher, you absolutely want a good relationship with that person. You don't want to missell anything or force anybody into anything because then you're going to be working with them. So, you know, it's just not a good fit for me, I think, that, that kind of heavy sales approach. Yeah. For me, one of the things that kind of uh, light bulb moments I had this year, and it sounds so obvious, but it really was a light bulb moment was actually, I don't need that many clients to have a successful Mm. business. And my current clients are the ones to really maintain that relationship with because they come back. I have Mm. returning clients and it's like, wow, this is fantastic. And then all of a sudden it doesn't seem that difficult to grow a sustainable business Mm. and not have to be working all the hours of the mm. day in order to sustain it and to be, yeah, to live a very comfortable life. That was a real, wow. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. You, you know, you don't need hundreds or thousands of clients. You just need the right ones. Rachel, it's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. 
I know listeners are going to be curious as to where they can find out more information about the programs we mentioned at the start of this session. Could you tell people where um, can they find you and find out more? Thank you, Laura. And thank you, everybody who's been listening or watching this. So if you'd like to know more about what I do, the place to go is my website, which is earnlearnthriveinelt.com. And if you know that you definitely need help with every aspect of setting up or developing and improving your business, then I would recommend that you take a look at my group program, which is called Design to Flourish. If things are already going pretty well for you or you're new to freelancing and you want to get some support with the foundational things, then I'd recommend you take a look at my membership, the Confident ELT Freelancer Collective. Lovely. And as always, those links are in the show notes so you can easily find them. If you love what we do at TSOPOP, then you can support us by sharing today's episode with your community, by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast, or by even buying us a coffee at ko forward slash TSOPOP. Hold up. 